The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Our topic today, I think, is going to hit home to a lot of people, and because it's necessary, because we're all human, and we're all going through all sorts of different things. And most of you know that uh, I, I kind of oversee our prayer ministry, and we have these little blue cards that we uh, have available at different locations. And these are for prayer requests. You put your requests down, and, and they go into various boxes. And they find their way on my desk, and I read over them, I pray over them, and I pass the information on to the prayer team, and they read over them, they pray over them, and, and it goes on. And what's interesting is just, you know, each one tells a story. Each one tells a different story. But really, if we just drop the details, they fall into distinct categories. We've got prayer for salvation for unsaved friends and loved ones. We've got uh, prayer for the deliverance from addiction of some sort, maybe for oneself, the person who put it in there, or for, again, unsaved friends or loved ones, and even saved friends or loved ones. They're not uh, immune to addiction either. We see uh, marriage and family problems, okay? Um, Couples not getting along, children that are going off the rails. And we see people asking for help with finances, prayer for finances and employment, uh, job issues. And lastly, the big one really is uh, prayer for health. A lot of health problems out there, uh, some relatively minor, some very major. So these, are, these stories that I read through here, there's something that though, as I read them, I realize there's something missing that for every one of these little cards that I read through and I pray over, there's probably about, oh, I would say at least two, three, maybe more people in this church that have not filled out one of these cards and let us know what's going on, but they are going through the exact same trials. And we pray for them too, the unspoken ones. And today, I want to encourage those who are going through trials. And to do this, we are going to be praying toward the end, but I want you to keep in mind that you need to understand who we are as Christians and who God is. And to do this, we're going to go through a a bit of scripture that is very familiar to everybody. I'm going to honestly tell you that it's probably up there, I call it in the top three that even non-Christians know about. You've got John 3.16, everyone's heard that. You've got the Lord's Prayer, everyone knows this. This is number three. And if you haven't guessed it already, we're going to reveal it right now. If you turn in the book of Psalms to number 23. This is probably a passage that a lot has been said about. It's shared many, many times. Strangely enough, usually you hear it in a funeral. You know, they're trying to give comfort to the, uh, the family of the departed. But to be honest, I think there's more to it than that. And I think it was not intended to be solely to be used as an epitaph for someone's life. Okay? Because it really does address to us how God watches over us. He watches over his people. And he does this no matter what's happening. And he cares about us. And this, is, this passage is really for all Christians who are going through trials, who are going through burdens, and those who are going to be going through those exact same trials and burdens. So if you're there, 
Go ahead and read along with me. We are in the first, first verse, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm, this song of worship that was written to show us who you are and who we are, and the comfort it gives us to know that you care for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. We ask you now to open our ears and open our hearts to what the Spirit has to tell us. Pour your Spirit upon this place so that people will not hear my voice, but will hear your voice, and they will take comfort that you do care for them. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So popular legend, when we think of this psalm, popular legend usually comes up with a picture of David as a young boy. He's sitting on a rock with all the sheep around him in this hilly country, and he's playing a harp, and he's singing about how the Lord is his shepherd and so forth. And that's a nice pastoral picture, but to be terribly honest, most scholars believe that David was much, much older, probably closer to the end of his life than he was at this point as a shepherd. And David had gone through an awful lot. Recently, in Wednesday nights, we had gone through the life of David through First and Second Samuel. And we see that, as a shepherd, he faced a lot of trials. He talks to Saul about how he you know, drove away wild beasts who were trying to attack the sheep. We know that he was a warrior. He fought at first for Saul, and then Saul turned on him. And now he was a fugitive running from someone who was trying to kill him for no reason other than jealousy. And he probably didn't quite understand it. He also saw how the Lord took care of him as king, even after he blew it with Bathsheba. And there was trials after that, the rebellion of Absalom. And toward the end of his life, even another rebellion by another one of his sons, he saw back, he looked back and realized, you know, God, maybe you're treating me like a typical sheep, because after all, you are my shepherd. Now, to understand this revelation that David's going to give us in this book, we have to know a little bit about sheep and a little bit about shepherds. Okay, so we city folk are going to get a quick primer on things about sheep that maybe we don't know. Now, sheep do have a reputation of being some of the dumbest creatures on God's green earth. Okay? You'll hear all sorts of stories about how stupid they are. Well, to be terribly honest, it is true that sheep are not as, as cunning as, say, a dog or a wolf or other animals that are around here. But sheep are intelligent, but, well, as intelligent as sheep can be. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first off, there's been studies on sheep they discover that sheep can recognize and remember faces, the faces of their shepherds and the shepherd's helper, and they can identify the faces and connect them with up to 50 other sheep within their flock. Now, if you've ever seen a flock of sheep, they all kind of look the same, okay? 
but the sheep can definitely tell the difference, not only from visually, from their faces, from where they sound. They recognize the shepherd's voice. They recognize the voice of the helpers, and they can recognize the bleeding of other sheep. So they know if the difference between a meh, that's this sheep, or a meh, that's another sheep. They know the difference. Sounds the same to me, but they know the difference. Okay? They also, basically, they understand the whole concept of mourning, strangely enough. When a sheep is missing from their flock, not just for a few days, but a long time, the sheep notice the missing one and seem to go into a form of mourning over it. Okay? Stupid animals don't do that. Okay? There is a form of intelligence in there. Sheep, when they see a face, they react positively when the shepherd is smiling at them and do not react positively when the shepherd is frowning or grimacing at them. They know the difference. What sheep lack, however, is wisdom. Okay? Now, there is a difference between intelligence and wisdom, and if you don't believe this, go to any college campus. There you will find among the brightest and most intelligent people on this planet, but at the same time, a good portion of them are some of the biggest fools you're ever going to run across. Okay? And I know, I was one of them at one time. Okay? Because wisdom is merely how well you use the intelligence that God gave you. And sheep do not use their intelligence very well. Um, for one thing, they get lost very easily. When they're out there grazing, they're focusing on their eating, and they wander as, the, as they follow the grass, they wander away, and they really don't pay attention to where they are. And because they lack any sense of direction, it is next to impossible for them to go back and find the flock if it is out of sight, even if it's just a few feet away and there's a small hill intervening. They're just there, they're lost, and they can't get back. Sheep do have a herd mentality. Okay? Um, what this really means is when one sheep bolts, all the rest are going to follow it no matter what, even if they have no clue what they're doing or why. There are stories, it's rather amazing, but these are true stories, of sheep that one panics for some reason, gets spooked, and basically runs over the cliff and the entire flock follows them over. Come on, guys, it's not so bad. <laughs> Off we go. And then besides that little incident, there are other ways where it's bad for the sheep. For example, even though in the old days they didn't really use sheep for food, we do now. And when the time comes for a sheep to be slaughtered, they will not go through the door in the slaughterhouse. They'll stay in their little paddock until somebody leads them. Now, they're usually waiting for the shepherd, but the shepherd, no self-respecting shepherd is going to lead a sheep into a slaughterhouse. So what the butcher does is he has a small goat and this goat has been trained to walk and lead the sheep up into the slaughterhouse through the door. Once inside, the goat goes one way, and the sheep go the other. Okay? And, in fact, here's an interesting little tidbit of information. The goat is referred to as a Judas goat. Okay? Sheep need a lot of water, and they need a lot of food. So when there's a lot of good food, a nice green pasture for them to eat on, they're fine. They're, they don't cause any trouble. They're not nervous. They're content. They're just eating away. But when food is scarce, they get very restless, and they have a tendency of eating anything, including poisonous plants. They don't seem to know the difference. 
And when they're thirsty, sheep won't go off to find water. They'll just huddle together and they'll mob around trees or an empty water trough while they dry of thirst. Okay? Somebody has to lead them to the water to find it. And that somebody is usually a shepherd. Sheep are very defenseless. Uh, Years of domestication have made sheep very, very docile. When predators come to visit, the typical sheep defense mechanism is to freeze in their tracks, not move. And what happens if they're in a, uh, a flock? They all herd together and not move, which leaves them wide open for an attack and gives the predator a nice free meal at very little effort whatsoever. If the situation allows a sheep to run, well, that's okay, except for the minor fact that sheep are not built for speed. Even a human can outrun a sheep. So, same results. These poor animals could not exist long in the wild without someone out there to protect them. Sheep also lack good vision and are easily frightened in new circumstances, new, new places, especially when it's dark. But if the shepherd's there with them, they stay calm because they do trust the shepherd. Now, I've mentioned the shepherd several times. What about him? What, is, what does he do? What's, what's his so important about him that the sheep trust him? Well, keep in mind that there is a very close bond between shepherd and sheep. Okay? The sheep are basically more than just pets. They are prized possessions. If you think about it, a sheep is actually very valuable. As I mentioned in David's time, they didn't use it for meat so much, but they used it for wool, got a lot of wool off a of sheep. They used it for milk, and of course they used it to procreate other sheep, other sheep, get other sheep out of it. This cost the shepherd money. He had to pay a price to buy those sheep in the first place, so he's not going to let any of them get lost or wander away without doing something about it. So to him... From the biggest down to the littlest lamb, they're precious to him. There's no such thing as a bad sheep or a good sheep. Every sheep, precious in his sight. So this explains the shepherd's willingness to seek out one lost sheep when one comes up missing. Spend time to find it. He has helpers to watch the flock. He goes look, looks for the lost sheep. It explains his willingness to fight predators single-handedly, even at the risk of his own life. And it also explains why he's willing to do the dirty jobs that keep the sheep alive. I'll give you one example is the whole process of shearing. Okay? Uh, sheep, despite what some people may think, sheep's wool is not that clean. I mean, forget the little stuffed animal you might have in your daughter's bedroom or something like that. That doesn't really reflect a sheep out in, the, out in the pasture, okay? Sheep's wool gets thicker and thicker, okay? It's very, you know, very soft. It contains a substance called lanolin that keeps it soft, but that lanolin acts as a dust, bug, and dirt magnet. So there's all sorts of stuff just gets put into the sheep. If it rolls around in the mud, gets mud in there, all sorts of nasty stuff in there. And so it causes the, the coat to really weigh the sheep down. And there's a point where it actually endangers the sheep's life. For example, if the temperature goes up, it starts to get hot, the sheep will overheat. Or, for example, if it gets too heavy, sometimes the sheep will lay down and not be able to get back up. 
And if the shepherd's not there, that sheep will eventually die. So the shepherd has the unpleasant task of shearing the sheep. Okay? Even today, with nice electric clippers and so forth, it is not a pleasant task because the sheep fights the process the entire time. But once it's done, not only is the shepherd very happy about it, the sheep actually seems relieved. It's like, oh, wow, that's good. Let's go on. Forgetting how much he was fighting to keep that coat on. And of course, the wool is used for all sorts of useful things. So now that we kind of understand a little bit about what sheep and shepherds are, we can now look and see what David's talking about. So look at the first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, back in verse 1. Here we see that David is talking about his personal relationship with God. He is my shepherd. Okay, we already see how close the bond is between sheep and shepherd. David's saying the same thing. And as believers, that is who the Lord is to us. He is our shepherd. Why? Well, he paid a price for us as well. He paid the ultimate price, Christ's death on the cross. And he paid it so he could have that personal relationship with us that he wanted above all else. He prizes us. We are precious in his sight, as one old song says. When we are lost, he looks for us. When we need care, he's there for us. When something in our lives needs shedding, spiritual wool, shall we say, he shears us. And sometimes, just like with the sheep, it's not a pleasant process. And sometimes we kick and fight the whole time, but once it's been sheared away, we're wondering, why were we fighting to keep that all this time? I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. This tells us that Christ, or the Lord, gives us what our necessities are. He provides everything we need. Now notice what I said, everything we need. Not necessarily everything that we want. There is a difference between the two. As believers, we have this wonderful privilege to stand before the Lord and ask for anything. He says, ask in my name. And we say, Lord, you know, someone needs to be saved. We pray for that. We have all these different petitions, and the Lord listens. And in his wisdom, he knows which ones he can grant us because we can handle it and which ones he can't because he knows, mm, can't have that yet. You're not ready. The whole point, by the way, of prayer, and he'll remind us of this, is not to try to twist God's way into our way of thinking, but to align our will into God's will. As a result, when we're sitting there saying, you know that neighbor over there, he's got that Mercedes-Benz, Lord, he's a hard-drinking sinner, he doesn't deserve that, I need that Mercedes-Benz, Lord, I claim that Mercedes-Benz, give it to me, Lord's saying, you can't handle it. Look, I gave you a Yugo. <laughs> it actually is in one piece after all these years. It runs well. You get good gas mileage. Be content with your Yugo. But Lord, I want... I said, be content with the Yugo. And a lot of times we need to understand that the Lord will not give us a lot of these things, not because he doesn't want us to have it, but because he knows we can't handle it yet. He knows that we are very easily distracted. Think of the sheep when they're eating. They're sitting there focusing on food. They're wandering off, and suddenly we go away and realize what happened. And we're open to the enemy to come in and swoop down upon us. And he says, no, you don't need that. You, I've given you what you need. 
That doesn't mean at some point he won't give you a Mercedes-Benz. I'm not saying that. But don't sit there and think that you are entitled to it. The Lord will give you what you need. Simply because he knows us better than we know ourselves. Now, sheep will lie down when they, are, they feel safe and when they are well-fed and comfortable. So this is the passage about he makes us lie down in green pastures. When we talk about being well-fed as Christians, we really are referring in terms of spiritual, being fed spiritually. And the Lord leads us to places where we can get well-fed spiritually. Big one, the Bible. Because spiritual hunger occurs when the Word of God is lacking. This is something that really is a weak point with most Christians, and I'll freely admit it can be a weak point with me as well if I allow it to. And that's not getting into the Word every single day. I'm not talking to prepare for a sermon. I'm talking just daily devotions for our own sake. Okay? We need the Word. We need to keep ourselves fed on good spiritual food, which is the whole point of green pastures. What's kind of cool is a common characteristic of brand new Christians is how they devour the Word. I mean, they grab a Bible and they're just reading it like they are spiritually starving because they are spiritually starving. They are. That's why they're there. And unfortunately, a lot of times, older believers, they'll come up and say, look, I just read this passage out of the Psalms and da-da-da-da-da. And some of the older believers are saying, yeah, I know. I've read that about five million times and that's nice. And... Uh, and that's not the attitude we should have. We should have that exact same hunger. That conversation, instead of trying to drift over what the Dodgers are doing, is, you're right, yes, I read that same passage. And you share that insight, sharing that same zest and desire for God's Word. There's a reason for that, because well-fed sheep are not going to eat strange food or food that's bad for them. But hungry sheep will eat anything, including poison. Veteran believers have to be cautious because they can be led astray if they do not maintain that firm root in the Bible. Moving on, we talk about the still waters. Okay? Sheep do not mix with running water very well. Okay? If they come up to a stream with a, with a, a rough, rough flow, if they walk into it, they actually can get knocked off their feet. And that wool we were talking about earlier, if they fall into the water, it's the, water or the wool soaks up the water like a sponge. And soon they are so heavy they can't get up, and eventually they drown because of it. So they will go, and they know this, they will stay away from running water. So in order to allow them to drink in peace, sometimes the shepherd comes along, he builds like a little breakwater in the stream. There's still water coming in, but now instead of rushing through, it's nice and still. And this is symbolic of peace, peace in the Lord. Because they want to see that peace, they can drink and do what they need to do in perfect trust of the shepherd. The Lord provides this peace to us, and this peace is beyond the understanding of the world. But what's interesting, and it's really kind of sad sometimes, even as believers, we don't partake of that peace like we should. And I'm going to twist a saying because it applies here. You can leave a sheep, lead a sheep to water, but you cannot make them drink. Likewise, a Christian can, knows that peace is there, but they're more 
concerned about worrying about something. Oh, I don't know if we're going to get the money for the house payment or, or gee, the car needs new tires and I don't know where that's going to come from or, or gee, the you know, mom is sick and you know, I don't know what's going to happen. The doctors don't seem to know what's wrong. And, and in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus basically, and in a broad paraphrase, say, stop worrying. It's not going to help you one bit. Let the Lord deal with it. Leave tomorrow's troubles until it come. Today has enough trouble of its own. And he's just basically saying, let God handle the whole thing. And that's because God built that little breakwater to give us that little space of peace. The Lord will take care of us, even in the darkest of circumstances. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. Maybe not the details, but I've been through some pretty dark times myself. I know. Honestly, I do. And why does he do all this? Getting us nice spiritual food and nice calm water, nice peaceful surroundings to restore our soul. Restoring our soul, it gives us that wonderful renewal that we realize that life in Christ is great and it's worth living. Yes, even if I'm in extreme pain, even if it seems like everything around me is crashing, The joy of the Lord is in my heart because he has renewed me. He has given me all that I need, and I just can't wait. Especially, it's it's a blessing to see a a believer who's on the verge of death, how they handle it, the peace that's in their face as they await, yeah, I'm going to see Jesus anytime. Yeah, I'm going to miss you, but man, I'm going to see Jesus anytime. And I've actually seen them act like that. And you knew they were in pain. They had focused on the Lord. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I mentioned this before, but sheep have to be led. Okay? You cannot drive sheep like you do cattle. Cattle have to be driven from behind and, and roped into place. Sheep, on the other hand, will follow the shepherd wherever he goes. Now, in this passage, the word paths, the the Hebrew word here, indicates a well-worn, rutted pathway. Okay? So this is telling us is the Lord is taking us on ways he knows well, even if we don't know where he's going. It also is indicative of the fact that he is going to take us the shortest route possible through all these trials and through life. He's not going to try to tire us out unnecessarily, but he's not going to make it easy on us either, because if we don't have trials, we don't gain strength. We know that part of the reason for going through hard times for Christians is to build up our faith, okay, to make us stronger in the Lord. That's what the whole thing is, and to rely on him more. And that's what he does. He leads us. He leads us through dark paths. Now, we'll get to that in a second. He wants us to just let him take care of it, as hard as it may seem. He has told us over and over again, he will never leave us or forsake us. He's a man of his word. He's a God of his word. He's not a man. He's a God of his word. It's for his name's sake that he keeps these promises for us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now at this point, David changes from talking about God in the third person, and now he's addressing God. He goes from he to you. 
what this is telling us is that what the Lord is doing as his shepherd is happening now. Not something that happened a long time ago that won't happen again. Not something that might happen in the future. It is happening now. It happened in the past, it's happening now, and it's going to continue to happen no matter what. Christ is beside us during those dark times. When we go into a deep canyon, okay, that term, the valley of the shadow of death, basically this is any experience that's going to make us afraid, including death itself. And notice what the psalmist is saying. You are with me. Okay, we're in this dark place. As long as you're here, I'll go through because you're not alone. He knows that our, we know now that our Savior is going to protect us. The rod, when he talks about the rod, the rod is basically a long, stout stick. It's very, very strong. At the end, it's got a kind of a point. So it can be used in a pinch as a spear. It also can be used to hold onto the ground while trying to grab something. David mentioned how he killed a bear and a lion to Saul. He probably used a rod to do that. And the sheep know it. They know that's our protection. We know this that no matter how bad it gets, the Lord's not going to let the enemy get us when we're down. Okay? We might throw up our hands and surrender, but the Lord's not going to let that happen. He's saying, no, I'm letting this happen. There's a reason I'm letting it happen. You can't go any further. But what about the staff? Ah, the staff's a little different because that's actually for the sheep. Despite the shepherd's best intentions, sometimes a stubborn sheep just won't go where the shepherd leads. That was me as a teenager. Okay? I knew the word. I was a stubborn sheep. I had to do it my way. I didn't listen to the shepherd's voice when he was calling. So the staff comes into play at this point. Now, it's always used at first in a gentle way. Kind of like, no, you don't want to go that way. Just kind of push the sheep back onto the path. You don't want to do that. Not really meant to hurt anything, just as a little subtle reminder, this is the way you're supposed to go. But sometimes, if we don't get the hint, the staff is used a little more forcefully. Keep in mind that God chastens those that he loves. And generally, that chastening just doesn't come out of the blue. It, it's coming on top of more subtle persuasion to try to get our attention. To kind of give you an illustration of this, there's a, a kind of a cool story I came across as I was preparing for this message, and it's a very powerful illustration of how the staff works. A woman visiting Switzerland came to a sheepfold on one of her daily walks. Venturing in, she saw the shepherd seated on the ground with his flock around him. Nearby, on a pile of straw, lay a single sheep, which seemed to be injured. Looking closely, the woman saw that its leg was broken. Her sympathy went out to the suffering sheep, and she looked up inquiringly to the shepherd as she asked what had happened. Shepherd said rather sadly, I broke it myself. Then he explained, Of all the sheep in my flock, this one was the most wayward. It would not obey my voice and would not follow when I was leading the flock. On more than one occasion, it wandered off to the edge of a cliff and not only was it disobedient, it was leading other sheep astray. I tried everything that I'm supposed to, but based on my experience with the sheep, I knew I had no choice. So I broke its leg. The next day, 
I tried to bring food, but it tried to bite me. After letting it lie alone for a couple of days, I went back, and it not only eagerly took the food, but it also licked my hand and showed every sign of submission and affection. Now let me say this. When this sheep is well, it will be a model sheep for my entire flock. No sheep will hear my voice and follow more closely. Instead of leading the others away, it will be an example of devotion and obedience. In short, a complete change will come into the life of this late wayward sheep. It will learn obedience through its suffering. Now, some people may think, now, Pastor, do you honestly believe that all the suffering we're going through is because God is punishing us? No, not all. Okay? There are some situations where that does happen, some extreme situations where God wants to get our attention and get it fast. But for the most part, no, I don't think it's a punishment. It's part of the growing process that we all have to go through. But what I want you to take from this story is that God allows these bad things to happen for a reason. And that reason is for our benefit. Now, it may seem it was a rather extreme measure to break the leg of the sheep. But think about it. In the long run, the action saved the sheep's life. And it saved the lives of the other sheep in the flock. That will happen with us too. Something happens, we'll get angry. We'll actually react like that sheep did. It'll be mad at God, be resentful. We'll, we'll not admit to ourselves we did anything wrong. And it's all God's fault because, I don't know, he has it in for me, whatever the reason may be. And the Lord says, fine, I'll back off a little bit. He won't forsake you. He's still keeping an eye on you, but he'll back off. And soon you realize, wow, when God's not here, it's really pretty bad. And at that point, we re- we'll turn our heart back to him, and when our heart goes back to him, he'll, he'll come back and they'll say, okay, are we ready? You've had your fun. Are you ready for what I have for you? We become wiser in these trials. We become stronger in our faith. We grow closer to the Lord, and because we went through it, we're now more of a comfort to others. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, at this point, it seems like suddenly David is changing the subject from a flock to a banquet hall. But to be honest, it's not really the case here. You see, that word table is not always referred to a table, you know, a piece of furniture. In hilly country, there's lots of places where the land grows flat. And these areas of land that are flat are referred to as tables. And what happens is as a a shepherd is moving his flock from point A to point B, a lot of times he'll come across one of these tables and he'll let the flock linger there to rest. After all, most of the day they've been going up and downhill. And in fact, if they're heading toward a sheepfold, the sheepfold is usually built in one of these tables where it's flat and it's usually a lot of grass and a place of safety that can be easily defended. So at the end of the day, the shepherd comes up to the sheepfold and one by one he allows the sheep in and he inspects each one to make sure that they are not injured or bruised in any way or maybe they're sick because they managed to eat something that's poisonous. When he finds one that's hurt, he applies a soothing oil. And for the others, he takes that same oil, usually a type of olive oil, and he covers their head and horns with it. It acts as a natural insect repellent. 
There are certain flies in the Middle East that if they get into a sheep and they're left unchecked, they will actually cause a sheep to go blind. So he anoints them with oil in order to keep the flies away, keep away the stuff that's not good for him. If they're thirsty, he has a large two-handled cup that he fills with water in case there's no water there at all. So they will drink from the water and he keeps it full so all the sheep have a chance to drink. Sometimes he will uh, spread out food. There's a trough and he'll spread out food for the uh, sheep because he knows that a nice, well-fed, happy sheep will go to sleep. And that's the whole point that they're there at the fold. It's nighttime. The sheep knew that they were safe and that they could sleep without fear. And as they slept, they would be protected by a stone wall that surrounded the fold, and the shepherd himself would sleep across the opening and act as a door. So during the night, there may be thieves, there may be dangerous animals, they might approach the fold, but there is no way that they could reach the sheep. Now, granted... God doesn't always remove the dangers from our lives, but he does help us to overcome these dangers and not to be completely paralyzed with fear. This is what is meant in the book of Romans. It talks about that we are more than conquerors in Christ and that we can have this peace in the midst of danger. This theme, this theme of peace in the Lord, repeats itself over and over in the Psalms. Let me just give you a couple of uh, examples David was very familiar with the whole concept of peace in the midst of trials. For example, in Psalm 3, he's on the run from his son Absalom. He's on the run for his life. And the first two verses of Psalm 3, he talks about how horrible it is, how everyone is against him. But look what he says in verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves against me all around. Peace in the midst of a trial. Psalm 4.8. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And even it spreads us out more. Psalm 12, 5 through 6. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's rejoicing in these times of trials. And this concept of a rejoicing, we see this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, amazing man. Every time he came into a new town, he'd find out where the synagogue was and what the jails were like because he knew he was going to visit both at some point in time. Okay? But he, even in jail, we think of when he was in jail in Philippi, he was singing praises to the Lord and psalms and hymns while in the stocks in the Balma jail at midnight. And then he brought the house down with an earthquake. Okay? Lord blessed that. In, when he was in jail in Rome, he wrote to the Philippian church. He used the word rejoice 10 times and sometimes twice in the same verse. His, his attitude, I think, is best said in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And why? The answer back in Psalms 23 is in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
I'm sure when David was a shepherd, when he was with the sheep and they had settled down for the night, he was probably laying at the door, looking back over the day, and he was giving thanks to God for preserving the flock, preserving his life. And notice that the Lord had blessed them with goodness and mercy. And as an old man, David probably came to the same conclusion, looking back on his life, because he could see the hand of the Lord through all of his experiences and came Despite of his sins and failures, he was followed by goodness and mercy. The word surely can also be translated as only. So David's looking back. Really? God has given me goodness and mercy. And as he looks forward, he says, I'm going to be in heaven. He uses the house of the Lord. He's not talking about a temple. He's not talking about any earthly structure. He's using the same words Jesus used in John 14. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. He's talking about when he goes to be with the Lord, he will, he will see him, he will dwell there forever in perfect peace. Think about that. At some point in time, we're going to be there with our shepherd as well. And when we look back, despite all that we had gone through in life, we're looking back to, and we will see that same goodness and mercy. David knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like when uh, non-believers would taunt his belief in God, would basically make fun of him, mock him. He knew that loneliness of being on the run, of being a hunted man, and not even having a reason for it. But never once did his faith in God falter. when he wrote the Psalms, there were times when he would call out, you know, Lord, how long is this going to take place? He spoke, he was speaking out his fears and frustrations, but in that same Psalm, he would always acknowledge that God was going to see him through, that God was in charge. And as believers, we have these exact same assurances. In the Psalms, in the Gospels, in the Epistles, God is always going to be with us no matter what we are going to experience. We are like the sheep. We are being led by our master, the shepherd. We don't know where we're going or what the master's plan is for us, but we will follow him knowing that he is going to look after us. We know this. David knew this. He wrote about it constantly, that the God would protect him always. The Lord would be with him And he was assured through scripture, he was assured through prophetic messages from his prophet prophet friends, and for the Lord himself would reveal it to him. And we have that exact same assurance in our word. Because we rest easy in, in Christ because we know he truly is our shepherd. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you gave these promises that you will never leave us, nor will you forsake us. And Father, we just now just claim those promises among ourselves because there are people in this room right now who are suffering, who are going through trials, who are going through major issues, Father. And sometimes they've shared with me that they feel alone. They don't know how much longer they can hang on. But Father, because you are our shepherd, you are still there with them. You're with all of us. And we ask you now to just pour your spirit of peace, pour your spirit of comfort, 
and give strength to those who feel that their strength is at an end because you do love us. You love our sheep. You, you love your sheep. You love us as precious vessels, as precious possessions. And now, Father, as we come forward to communion, we want to remember that because you loved us so, you want none to perish. You want all to come to repentance and be part of that flock and take part of that peace. While our heads are bowed, while we're still in an attitude of prayer, maybe you're here today and you've never had a relationship with Christ. You've never heard these words before. Maybe you heard them and you thought it was just a story. But maybe the Spirit finally is now stirring your heart thinking, you know, that is peace. That is true. That I've seen fellow believers out there that just go through the worst things with a smile on their face. Christ will give you that peace. John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you want to take part of that peace and you want to join in that relationship that we have with Christ, you want that now, I want you to raise your hand and we'll pray for you right now. I also want to extend that to anyone who is a believer, but they were a stubborn sheep too. They went their own way. They lost sight of the shepherd in the flock. And you know the truth, but now that peace is gone because you're gone and you want to come back. And if that's the case too, raise your hand because I want to pray with you now to bring you back into our flock. Okay, see you, I bless you. And over here, we bless you too. And over on my left, in the back, bless you. The back on my right. We're here in the center. Thank you. Lord, here's your heart. So now just join me in this prayer. And if you didn't raise your hand, join us as well because the Lord wants to hear you. Father, I stand for those who raised their hand who are here now, either coming to you for the first time or renewing that relationship they started a long time ago. And I ask you now, Father, to just pour your spirit of peace on them now. And give them a hunger for your word again, that they'll see that what we do here is not just a bunch of stories, not just a thing we believe, that it is a relationship with a living God, the only living God, and that you're not just far away on a mountain. You are here with us now. We ask you to go into their hearts now, Father. Give them peace. Give them comfort. Give them the love that they seek. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one other thing at this point I do want to pray for. And that is, if you're going through a trial right now, whether it's health issues, monetary issues, family problems, addiction, whatever the case is, you're going through a deep, dark trial, I want to pray for you and I want you to stand at your seat so we can pray for you as a church. We've been through it all. 
I've been through death of a spouse, death of a father. I've been through all sorts of things, and I think most of us here can claim a variety of experiences. But you want us to give you pray that God will continue to strengthen you. We'll pray together with you right now. Just go ahead and stand up so we can pray that God will pull you through this. And if you're not standing yourself, if you're near someone who's standing, please put your hands on them. And let's pray together now. Father, we know that you are our shepherd. And we see these that are standing before you at this time. In the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, Father, and right now I want you to just pour your love, peace, patience, and comfort into their hearts. Let them feel your arms about you right now as you lead them on like the gentle shepherd leading a sheep that was astray, like the gentle shepherd leading, getting a sheep out of a hard place with love, encouragement, and Father, just help them through, bring them through this and help them be stronger and closer to you as a process. We praise you, Father. We thank you. And we give it all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.